What's up, Florida State sports fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Knoll Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler, Florida State beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat, here with Antoine Staley, also Florida State beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat. Antoine, how's it going, man? I'm doing all right, man. Just busy time of the year with uh, talking to new recruits, and also we got basketball going on, baseball and softball will be starting up next month. So, yeah, a lot of new things going on. Yeah, no doubt. It's a... uh... It's a busy time. I mean, it, it's different. I mean, obviously, the fall, so much of the focus is football, 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 football. And then when basketball picks up, you mix in a little of that. This time of year, I mean, where you've got – they're well into basketball season now. Baseball season starts soon. Not long after that, spring football will start. It's a, uh, it's a really fun time to be covering or following Florida State sports, no doubt. Obviously, you mentioned the, uh, the new guys, and I know they're not kind of done with that 2021 class yet they're going to wrap that up i guess next week when uh or not next week sorry next month with national signing day and kind of add maybe a couple more guys and i guess maybe you could add a couple transfers over the summer as well i think that that is very much a uh, a possibility for them but we started uh, talking to the uh some of the new guys as they are here we talked to i guess now i think five of the transfers of the seven transfers that are here. And I think after that, we're going to start getting the freshmen once we get those last couple transfers. It's uh, I mean, it's not something a lot of places get to do of talking to guys. I mean, weeks after their arrival, talking to freshmen. So it's definitely something that uh, is a blessing for us and definitely gives us some insight into them and the program. Yeah. I think it's good also to talk to a lot of those uh, new guys, transfer guys, because Florida state had a ton of them that come, came in really close to about the same time so yeah of course we talked to Mackenzie Milton that's obviously the big the headliner there um obviously uh from his reports I know his mother posted it on Instagram that he had been cleared this week so yeah uh that's a big deal too also we ended up talking to um Jermaine Johnson last week uh as well uh defensive end came in from Georgia uh I think it's going to have a big impact there Florida State had some problems last year rushing the passer there and even in limited duty uh he would have he uh, made a big impact for the Seminoles last year uh had he been on the roster so yeah I think those are two big names that uh we end up talking to you know, talking to some more guys too there uh DJ Williams there the running back from Auburn uh also joining a really talented running back group there too as well so yeah it's definitely um definitely exciting times there and um definitely looking forward to seeing what these guys may look like especially when as we get closer to spring football yeah i mean it, i think you'll agree with saying it, it was a it was really especially the first two i would say and somewhat too i mean you mentioned dj and jamie robinson and keir thomas the south carolina teammates but especially i would say mckenzie and jermaine really impressive and we, i think we knew that about mckenzie he's a guy who's done a lot of interviews he's a quarterback at a prominent program not obviously power five but i mean a, a group that went a team that went to consecutive new year six bowls and i mean it won however many games in a row so we'd seen a lot of him i think his health assessment where he i think he of, his, of himself said he thought he was about 90 percent and obviously he had the doctor visit after that up at the mayo clinic that that apparently went well from uh what we as you said what we heard from uh from Mackenzie's mom, which is uh, in a significant deal, because I think if he's able to be full go for spring, I mean, it, it would st- if he's able to do anything in spring, which I'm sure he would have been, that would have been big just in terms of, I mean, obviously quarterbacks aren't going to take a lot of contact anyways, but being full go as it was, I mean, will be will be huge, I think, for 
him and for the offensive guys to get comfortable with him because I definitely think if that's the case, we both expect him to be the starting quarterback at the start of next season. But uh, Jermaine Johnson, I mean, you mentioned him also, a really impressive guy. He talked a lot about, I mean, not caring so much about kind of Florida State's record. And I think a really poignant thing he said was, I mean, they, they were a program that was on top just years ago. And I think they're really still a top-notch program. They just haven't kind of had that success. And whether he knew kind of the specifics of all that went on, I mean, it's it would only take really reading that ESPN story or something like that. But it it, it spoke to, I mean, the, the Florida State logo and brand still very much played a role in both Jermaine Johnson and Mackenzie Milton. And I would imagine a, lot, a number of the other guys. And so it, it speaks to, I mean, a lot. And I think just you see how quickly – those guys are going to be leaders. They're already, I'm sure, doing that as they're now getting into tour duty stuff. Yeah, and I think uh, you brought it up with the logo and the name brand. Florida State, I mean, they've had their struggles the last few years, but these guys coming in, they still remember how great Florida State was when you talk about the 2013 championship team, obviously, which led by Jameis Winston and a ton of NFL talent on that roster. Or even, you know, you go back as um, – you know, early as far as 2016, when Dalvin Cook was still on the roster, and they made appearance in the Orange Bowl too, as well. So, yeah, it's they know Florida State football to what it is to be a great brand and a significant program. It's not like it's been years on top of years. Not like been decades since Florida State has been good. It's just been. It, it might seem like that way, but it definitely hasn't been the case there. They still it's still a recognizable brand. They still understand the program significance, the big names. A lot of them end up throwing out big names, even some of them before they were even born. But they still understand the significance of the program and the talent and uh, how special they can be. And I think uh, to have somebody to come in like a McKenzie Milton, uh, who I think a lot of people, a lot of those transfers saw and decided, you know what, he's going there. If he if he's anywhere close to what he was at UCF, we can try to get this thing turned around pretty quickly. And also, you know, I end up getting playing time in the process. And, um, you know, it's always in the back of people's mind, also NFL aspirations, too, as well. So you factor all that in and join a big time program like a Florida State. Yeah, I think that's kind of why you got a lot of those uh, transfer recruits really excited right now. Well, and it's a nice mix of, I mean, the guys like McKenzie, the guys like Jermaine, Keir Thomas, another one who are kind of coming here for their final year of eligibility. They're not guys who have a bunch left, and this is going to be it. I mean, for I think Keir would have been done, and I maybe Jermaine too, were it not for the NCAA kind of giving everyone a free year because of how bizarre co- this COVID-affected 2020 season was. So, I mean, this is like a, a bonus year that I don't think they thought they were going to get. And, I mean, for a guy like Keir, obviously, it's coming full circle. He was a Florida State commit who flipped to South Carolina kind of late out of high school. He's a Miami Central kid. So, I mean, from a prominent high school, I think adding him will, will be a pretty big thing for building a relationship there potentially. But – those guys are obviously are their one-year rentals as it was. But then you look at the other two we've talked to, and I think Brandon Moore, obviously the UCF defensive back, also a, a one-year type guy. But you look at DJ Williams, you look at Jamie Robinson, and you're looking at two guys who you're going to get, they I think both have three years of eligibility left. They both only have been in college for two years. And this past year, even though they both played, counts as a redshirt just because of how how the eligibility stuff plays out. So you're looking at guys that both have three years of eligibility left and, I mean, have already made significant impacts in college, and now you're going to really reap not just a year, but, I mean, they're going to get to be a part of not just 
the turning around of the program, but really the rebuilding of the program. I, I'm sure in their eyes and the coaching staff's eyes. Yeah, I, I think uh, we spoke about this numerous times about how young this team was last year, and uh, to be able to add in people that well, you get you get some people that may only stay a year, but you're also getting players that have that eligibility for two or three years too, and you add that on top of the talent that you already have. I think it's a great miss. I think it's a great miss that can also, one, you know, help fill in the gaps that you might have had uh, last season, but also just kind of make a bridge to some of the young guys that you may have that may not be ready for to take on extensive roles too as well. So, yeah, I, I love what they've done in the transfer portal. I don't know exactly how it translates in wins and losses last year, but it looks good, uh, especially with the – I know a lot of people talk about the recruiting class and the numbers, mm-hmm. but you factor that in with some of the guys that they've gotten with a lot, ton of experience there too as well that can come in and I think uh, end up producing right away. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things they can turn, how quickly they can possibly turn this thing around this year. I'm definitely – for me, uh, I'm not as, obviously not expecting to, to win the ACC or anything, but you know to get to a bowl game and um, win seven or eight games, I think that's definitely a big possibility for this football team. Yeah, we should find out what that schedule looks like here pretty soon. It normally comes out in January, end of January. We'll see, I guess, if that's the case this year. They might be waiting. Uh, I wouldn't blame the ACC if they wanted to wait a month or two just to kind of see what things look like then because, I mean, obviously the hope is – vaccines will be out by then so we'll have to keep an eye on when the schedule comes out we'll definitely break that down on a podcast once we get that i mean the 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 preparation for that season's already underway they're now what i think uh, two weeks into or no a week i'm sorry they started last friday the last friday started tour duty the day we talked to mckenzie and jermaine and those new guys are getting acclimated obviously a, a, a lot of guys who came in last summer, this is their first time going through it too. And I mean, the thing you hear uh, is about, I mean, not just how impressive Coach Storms' kind of program is. And I think the benefit of getting a, an entire offseason, not, an not an interrupted offseason of that, will be huge. But I, you also hear about how Coach Norvell in those, in those situations at practice really flips the switch. I mean, by all, by all accounts, I think he is an intense person, but not he doesn't come off as as harsh or prickly or anything in his media sessions, anything like that, like some coaches do, but you hear about how he flips a switch and just there is an intensity out there and just in the tour of duty on the practice field that I think some of those new players are kind of seeing for the first time. Yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty cool that they talked about that and how hard he could be because, yeah, I don't think he necessarily comes off as that either. But, yeah, to have a – I think to have some kind of normalcy, um, trying to get back to as much as possible um, during COVID anyway, uh, unlike he was last year where everything just kind of hit the fan a little bit there, I think it's – gonna pay dividends there you got he's in like he had a full season uh, gonna have bring and implement his offseason program uh getting end up having the spring game we, we which it looks like they've already um they already scheduled that and announced that so yeah i think um it's good to have this and also build that chemistry too as well you talk about mckenzie and you know him being cleared and i think it's important for him to be able to get that on the field get that rapport with those receivers there too as well and i think like i say be big because we 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 understand that how um how how much of a struggle it was time for some of those receivers to kind of get open to as well and create that separation and I, I think um having a guy like that that can you know that's played it that's had a lot of experience too as well can also help be a benefit to those receivers and also of course the offense as well yeah i mean it's it, 
Is it going to be an entirely normal offseason? No. I mean, they're still going to be in the COVID testing protocols, and they still could have to sit out if they were to come in contact with someone or if they were to test positive themselves. You could still have those absences from the offseason program, from spring practice, things of that sort. But compared to last offseason where they got three spring practices, I mean, by all accounts, the offseason lifting program from the strength and conditioning director, Josh Storms, I mean, I think – Norvell, the day before the start of spring practice, said something to the effect of between the start of the program in January and the start of spring practice in March, the FSU roster had averaged seven, I think it was seven pounds of weight loss or gain in the direction they wanted. I mean, you could see the transformation of people's bodies. And then they get three spring practices in and they shut down and everybody gets sent home and stays home for months. And obviously Storms kind of did what he could to adapt the the program to kind of what equipment you had. I know one thing he kind of said was put a car in neutral and push your car. I mean, that was something I think Andy Staples of the athletic wrote a story about what coach Storgram, coach storms kind of impromptu at home workout program was. And that was something I think he did part of that story, but it's just not going to be the same in those circumstances. So kind of getting to complete that program and getting those first couple months before spring and then getting to stay and keep doing it will just be, it'll be unspeakably huge because although you saw the, the somewhat of a body transformation with some people last year, I think you also saw some people who could have benefited so much more from that extra time, not just spring practices, but that extra time in the weight room being supervised directly by those strength and conditioning coaches. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think that's big. You need that time and you can't, yeah, you can't simulate that, especially when you're getting sent home too. It's whether you're pushing the car or whatever, just being in that program. And also, you know, you had Mike Norvell coming in has not even coached a uh, year with Florida State yet and trying to implement his program and all that kind of gets shut down. And I think that, you know, I think that had a big effect on the season. Now, like I said, I don't know how that translates with wins and losses, but uh, be able to, you can't really get that time back. And I, I think that's why I said I think it's important to have some kind of normalcy as much as you can uh, this this all season to try to get that pro, try to get his program the way he wants it to go, and also get the get the recruits and everybody together and get, build that continuity and that rapport with everybody. And I think that's I think that'll be a huge benefit to him and the rest of the team moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's we'll have to see. Obviously, the FSU announced yesterday the. Spring game will be April 10th. I mean, that I'm sure is something fans will be looking forward to. Just, I mean, not getting that experience last year. Obviously, I don't, I don't think either of us expect it to be a, a full capacity, but I, I think it might, if there are fans there, will be would look like a home game this year of like a, a 20% in the neighborhood of, or 25% in the neighborhood of like 18 to 20,000, somewhere around that. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but it, it's just the, the state of of this the world still but i'm sure still i mean that'll be huge for so many people to kind of get the, their first experience in dope campbell stadium huge for the team i mean to finish spring it, it, it will be huge in all fronts and so we'll definitely keep updated on that i i doubt that we'll be out at spring practices i think those are going to start probably somewhere in early march i don't think we'll be out there just because we weren't able to be out at any practices this year because of the team covid protocols but we'll uh, obviously have you covered there and stay on stuff with as we keep to talking to these new players start talking to the freshmen i think next week which should should make for some interesting content um we can i guess now skip to uh, the team that's in season it's a uh, the florida state basketball team the men uh 
came back from a 15-day layoff like, I mean, look, they looked as good as they have all year over this recent stretch. I mean, I wrote a column this week talking about they come back, they route NC State having a ridiculous shooting game, they beat North Carolina without Scotty Barnes, and then they win at Louisville. I mean, I wrote a column this week that this team is starting to look like, or during this stretch, looked like last year's team that that won the ACC regular season championship. And that's pretty scary considering all they had to replace. And, I mean, they, they came out of that protocol like game busters. I mean, the way they, they shot against NC State was just – I don't even know if you could do that in a video game. That's how impressive it was. And then to translate that against North Carolina, as you alluded to, without Scotty Barnes, your starting point guard there too as well. And uh, I, I think we talked about it on the last podcast we did. We, we said well, if they came out of that stretch two and one, we thought it'd be you know a pretty good week considering they played three games in six days. They came, they went three and zero. Oh. So now I think the sky's the limit with this team. And I, I you know I know you asked um, Malik Hosborn about that, and um, he ended up he ended up saying like they don't have a ceiling for this team, and I don't know what it is either. I, I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship in this year, but nobody. You look at the ACC this year. I mean, nobody has really taken that taken that man. Somebody taking the and running with it so far this early in the season. So I think FSU has a chance to do that. Um, obviously, they have they got the Clemson game on Saturday, and uh, they try to. That's the last loss that they ended up having um, back in December. Too well, it'd be interesting to see how they play up against the Clemson team, which really hadn't been the same. And I end up writing this in the article that's coming out to, uh, as well that Clemson hadn't been the same since they ended up having a pause from the protocol. So it's two interesting dynamics with with these two teams that FSU looks completely different after they came out of um, COVID protocol, whereas Clemson, they're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I wondered if, if for a team like FSU, A, as young as it is, as many new guys as they've got and guys who've had to step into bigger roles this season, I, I mean, I wondered if that reset, obviously it's good physically, just the not having to play two games this week. I guess the other side of that is it might be hard to stay in game shape when you're not playing games and kind of without that competition. But I think, especially with how good this FSU coaching staff has just proven to be at developing, I think it, it, it you just I think it, it was wonderful for them to kind of just hit a reset button of going back to the drawing board for some stuff, not having to game plan. I mean, I think they had about a week where they weren't in the facility because of the positive test. And I think they, they made the most of that very clearly. And I, I think, I mean... You're looking at the FSU bench, which obviously is going to be a trademark of this program that just doesn't often recruit. I guess next year's class they are, but doesn't normally recruit at the level of the top ACC programs, the the Blue Bloods, if you will. That The bench is going to be critical, and you really saw in that Louisville game. I mean, Barnes wasn't able to start again, and Raekwon Evans had another spectacular game. I mean, he's averaging... 15, 16, 17 points over this stretch of three consecutive starts he's made, and that's really what they needed from him. No Anthony Polite, who's, I mean, you're over, shooting over 50% from three this year, just ridiculous. And Wyatt Wilkes makes his first start of the year and really impresses. I mean, the bench is starting to look like the bench you expect over this recent stretch, and that's going to be huge because, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing where on a night where maybe an MJ Walker has a down night and only scores two points like he did against Louisville, for the bench to give you what they do is going to be big. I mean, it, you talked about Clemson, but I'm looking at the stretch after Clemson. We'll see how that goes. Obviously, I mean, Malik did not shy away from maybe giving Clemson some bulletin board material 
talking about how they've had this rematch circled for a while and that they know they're a better team now than they were the last time they played Clemson, even though it was, what, less than a month ago. I mean, it, he they did not shy away from giving some bulletin board material, if you will, but I think it speaks to, I mean, they're, the way they're playing right now, why should they be afraid of any team outside of maybe Virginia? That's the only one I would say, really. Yeah, I mean, you, Louisville, I thought, you know, arguably was the best team in the ACC. I mean, until you know, it, they FSU ended up beating them. So, yeah, I, I mean, they, I, I'm blaming them. I would have a lot of confidence too. Maybe not the best day to say, but you know, this team is very confident. They feel like, um, I'm sure players in the program feel like, you know, what they never get talked about every single year. Everybody talks about, you know, they do North Carolina, now Virginia. You know, you talk about Louisville, some of the other teams there. They always get slighted, and we have to talk about. I mean, even you go back to the polls this week. I know they're ranked in the coaches' poll, but the AP poll for the state's not ranked, and you know they end up putting it smack down on Louisville. So I think this team kind of feels disrespected in a way, and I think. They're trying to show that right now. And you talked about MJ Walker and, you know, the leading scorer of the team. But, yeah, he, he can only score two points and, you know, have a great game with as far as assists. But I think that shows the depth of this team. And I think that's kind of what Little Hamlet has always preached there. Always um, have a deep bench there. They don't necessarily – they have starters, obviously, but they don't necessarily use that. Everybody kind of gets playing time and has a different – have certain roles that they play. And – you know, it could be one guy, one, one night this guy's hot, the next night this the other guy's hot there. So they, I think they're deep, and I think that's going to be beneficial, especially as you head towards uh, February and March, too, as well. So I'm definitely curious to see how, how long they can keep this streak up. I know, like I say, you got Clemson, and they end up, you know, they got a game against Miami next week, too, as well. So um, before they end up going on the road for a little while. So, yeah, this is definitely um, two games you definitely want to get before you end up heading out on the road. I mean, even when you head out the road, the road's tough. Don't get me wrong. Florida State, great Florida State teams have lost some have lost some ACC road games just because playing on the road in, in the ACC is difficult. I mean, you look at last year's team, opened the season with a loss at Pitt, and as good as that team ended up being, and as many great teams that that team beat, obviously it was their first game of the year, and I think there was some frustration over having to kind of start, from a lot of coaches, I should say, from having to start the season with ACC games, but... I mean, yeah, you, you get Clemson and Miami at home. Then you go at Georgia Tech. Then, I mean, you, you go at Boston College. Then at Virginia Tech, which no doubt is tough. And yeah. home against Wake Forest. I mean, that is a that is a stretch where you could do some damage, even though the road. I mean, I think you're, you're done a favor by giving two very winnable games on the road. I mean, you look at the remaining road schedule – Virginia Tech is ranked, obviously, in this week's poll, and they're, I'd say, a very good team. But that's the only ranked team FSU has left on the road on its schedule. They play Virginia at home. They play Virginia Tech again at home. But those are the only three teams ranked this week that that are left on the schedule. I mean, it's you you don't have to play. You're, I, I, I'm working under the assumption until I hear otherwise that they're not going to make that Duke game up just because there's not really room in the schedule. I mean, they did not leave room for make-up games. And, I, I, I mean... That, that's probably for the best for Duke because I think from what we've seen from Duke in its return to action and what we've seen from Florida State, I don't think that would have gone very well for Duke. I think that game might have gotten ugly, especially because Duke would have been without Jalen Johnson. But, yeah, I mean, it's a schedule that lines up pretty favorably for FSU. I'm not sure they're going to win the ACC. I would still probably say Virginia is the favorite there just because that offense has really come on and obviously that defense is always just so hard to go against and they 
find a way to just consistently be very, very, very good in the ACC. But, I mean, Florida State looks like it will be in the co- in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you broke down the schedule pretty well, too, there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't got that far yet, but if that, that is indeed the case, then, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, the schedule definitely sets up very favorable for them. Uh, I, I definitely think that, I, I think the Virginia Tech game was definitely, Blacksburg is always such a tough place to play for a lot of different teams, too. But, but yeah, I think outside of that, yeah, they definitely have an opportunity to go run, you know, take care of business and, you know, try to get as many wins as possible before um, uh, you can the rest of the season, too, as well. So, yeah, I, I kind of lean towards Virginia, too, as well, because uh, their defense is such a pest. And now, now they have, now they're getting together offensively, which is really two combination. Before, I definitely think you saw a lot of with Virginia, too. They, they're they a very low-scoring team offensively, but their defense was kind of their hanging, their kind of their calling card now their offense is really playing a lot better and, you know, they still have that pesky defense as well. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, I definitely think um, for what I've seen from the rest of the teams in the ACC, um, I I will put Florida State up against everybody, especially uh, talent-wise too as well because a lot of these, a lot of the teams that I thought were going to be good, some of them not as as good as I thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. Yeah, no, it looks like, I would say, a a three-team race between – Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Florida State. Obviously, I mean, some other teams lingering there. I'm just not sure that they kind of have what it's going to take. Virginia Tech, I, I mean, I, plenty of people I'm sure could say they're skeptical of Florida State. I'm just skeptical that Mike Young is kind of has his program there yet. I'm no doubt very impressed with what he's done so far, but I, I think it's going to end up coming down to Virginia and Florida State first and second in the conference standings in in some order. And obviously we'll see if they have an ACC tournament, as of now it remains on, but with kind of the NCAA protocols, there's definitely some skepticism about how a conference tournament will be able to work. So that will uh, remain to be seen. Yeah, I definitely think um, once you get in that format, then you're playing every day, and uh, how is that going to work too as well, especially uh, with everything going on and, you know, testing and stuff like that. So, yeah, I um, – I have I have my doubts too as well, but I, I hope I hope we can see it this year. Uh, I definitely miss watching the ACC tournament, especially somebody growing up in the Carolina sessions myself. That was kind of like a, a yearly thing, uh, especially. I mean, when you have when you have teachers rolling out the TVs in the classroom watching the ACC tournament, it's kind of you know in, embedded in your blood. So well, I'm jealous <laughs> of that. I did not get that experience growing up in Virginia and Georgia. I can tell you that much. There was. Yeah. No rush to watch Georgia Tech play in the uh, in the ACC tournament, but uh, yeah, no, I mean it's a uh, no doubt. I mean the ACC tournament is great. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I very much enjoy watching it, but the NCAA tournament is more important. I mean, it's with with the NCAA's main source of income. The NCAA doesn't make nearly as much money. They don't make money off the college football playoff. Like that's not their cash cow. March Madness is their cash cow, and they need that to happen. Obviously, it'll be all in the in the one city and kind of the, the state that many people think of kind of the basketball state of Indiana. And so that'll be, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out too. I mean, I think we both thought before the season felt pretty comfortable saying Florida state was going to be there, but I mean, the, the recent stretch has shown, am I, would I pick them to go to the final four? No. Do I think they're as good as last year's team? No, but could they be there? Absolutely. I, this could be a final four team. I'm by no means saying that, that I don't think they could get there. I think Sweet 16, yeah, I think I could see that beyond that. I think 
if they can get beyond that, I think it's kind of gravy. Because considering, you know, you replaced so many players from last year, you have a young nucleus, you have a young point guard in Scotty Barnes. He, I think I think they could get there, but I, I think for me it's like, I think from what I've seen from college football basketball, I think Sweet 16 is like where you think this team can get. And be like I say, if anything beyond that, I think it'd be um, like very on top of the ice cream there. Mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are, and I won't speak for you, but I had to go with Gonzaga right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 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 by all means. Like, there's a pretty clear, I would say, Gonzaga and Baylor are a pretty clear, like, 1A, 1B of college basketball. And, like, no doubt, they should be the two odds-on favorites. I would agree with you. Gonzaga, like, yeah, no. I mean, it's, it, this is not like last year, where Florida State was very much, like, one of the most trendy picks to win it all for the NCAA tournament that, that obviously, unfortunately, couldn't happen. I mean, that team finished the season fourth in the polls, was going to be probably a two seed, maybe outside chance at a one if they'd won the ACC tournament. This won't be that, but so much of it, I mean, you make the Sweet 16, so much of it's matchups. So much of it's, did did a team in your side of the bracket get upset? Are you facing a lower seeded team, that like a Cinderella? Or, and it's just, if you're playing the team you're kind of supposed to be playing, quote unquote, how do you match up with them? I mean, so much of it deals with that. So it's just about, I mean, the one thing you always hear is you just got to maximize your chances getting to the Sweet 16 and kind of see what happens from there. Because, yeah, it, would, it is all gravy. I think I, this team, like you said, with, with all they had to replace, the Sweet 16 would be, if that's as far as they went, would be perfectly acceptable. But I do think this team, if the cookie crumbles that way, is capable of more. So, I mean, we'll have to see. I, do I, would I pick this team to beat Gonzaga or Baylor? No. Are they capable? Yeah. On yeah. one given day? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they could get hot like they did against NC State. Yeah. I mean, oh, they beat anybody if they shoot like that. Jeez. That was a, they shot, what, 70%? I think it was their best in an ACC game ever. So that's a, it's a, uh, it's a fun journey to follow. And I think we're definitely, uh, after the stretch, kind of before the shutdown, there were definite concerns about, issues that I think have been the dissuaded by just I mean the the recent play I mean they've they've looked real impressive yeah they, I thought they looked tired before the shutdown um I know they had there's some time off between uh the Gardner Webb game and Clemson but it was just a little it was just a tough stretch for them to have so many games and so many in a short amount of time and then you lose to UCF and you go play Gardner Webb and yeah I know they're still trying they were still trying to find themselves and their their identity but yeah I definitely think they kind of look tired and um just kind of going through the motions at times and I think that Clemson loss was kind of a bit of a gut check for them and uh, Clemson out definitely outplayed them on all both sides of the basketball they were more aggressive to the basket uh but rebounding uh free throws everything uh even though I know I know it was a large discrepancy in free throws I know that was big talked about but I just felt like Clemson was also more the aggressive team getting to the basket too as well, and they've definitely um, flipped the switch and been a completely different team since. Yeah, they have. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I, Florida State fans, and I would see why the team can be confident, should be confident heading into uh, heading into that game, especially. I mean, given the recent home success, what twenty straight home ACC wins is no small feat by any means. I think it it is tied now with the Duke streak that was snapped by the Michael Snare buzzer beater in. 2012. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, you, yeah, that was, uh, so, I mean, it's, you're in rare company to have, I mean, a 20 game home winning streak in the ACC, even at home. I mean, that's remarkable. And I think we're going to see that get extended. I think both of us think that. So uh, 
we'll we'll definitely have plenty more on them. Let's touch on some uh some Florida State baseball here at the end. Obviously, their uh their their preseason camp as it is has started. They start practice I think a week from today, the 29th. So it's a uh, baseball season getting closer. Obviously, this will be your first one. Kind of Antoine covering a uh, one of the 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 programs in college baseball. And so I guess what can you speak to about just your your excitement for that i mean it's a it's it's a lot of fun it's 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 hard to explain is kind of it truthfully yeah i um i'm definitely looking forward to it just looking at the schedule there too as well i know um, the florida game will be a little different this year i know some people weren't very happy with that but um it is you know you get a game in tallahassee you get a game in gainesville there too as well but yeah i I definitely um definitely looking forward to you know seeing the team go out there and play and you know, and I'm starting the season uh, against North Florida next month, February 19th, and you know, end up playing Pitt after that too, in Tallahassee too, as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely. Um, this is a team that I, I that's had obviously had a lot of success, a program that's had a lot of success too, as well. Uh, I don't know how you know you'll probably be able to speak more to this than I will uh, about you know prospects this year and the returning players that are coming back, but. Yeah, I definitely expect them, obviously, to be in the midst there, too, as well in the ACC. And, you know, we'll see how, how well they play uh, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a uh, it's going to be a really bizarre season. I think it, baseball is going to be especially, I mean, obviously, under all the COVID protocols, baseball is going to be especially affected by contact tracing, things of that sort. And what will benefit Florida State? in this case, is I think the, the numerous pitching options they have. I mean, so much about their who's going to be in their weekend rotation is very much up in the air. I mean, you look at a guy like Parker Messick, I think feels pretty locked into the Friday spot after he really, really impressed. I mean, he came up big in the win at Florida last year, the last game they ended up playing before the shutdown. He really impressed as a true freshman last year, and I think now is going to be that redshirt freshman stepping into what looks like a Friday spot after they lost a number of starters off last year's team. So, I mean, you feel good about him. And I think the thing you like is despite all that you lost, you've got a number of other options to try out in those weekend spots to kind of figure out your group. I mean, you've got a guy like Carson Montgomery, a true freshman who's going to be the highest rated, I think, pitcher they've ever brought on campus. That I mean, it was definitely a guy who was a hit, had prospects of – signing pro out of high school and chose to pass that up and come to FSU. Uh, a guy like Hunter Purdue coming off Tommy John, who was here last year, didn't pitch, is now, I think, thought of. It'll be interesting. I mean, obviously a vet like Connor Grady, I think a, lo- a number of other guys I'm sure they're going to try in that starting group. I mean, in a year where one of your guys in the weekend rotation could test positive or contact trace – and come in and be out for 10 days and miss, I mean, potentially two weekends. It is how many different pitchers that I think they feel good about, just how good they feel about their group of pitchers as a whole will be uh, will be huge for them. Yeah, I think in a season like this, too, and you kind of brought it up, uh, I, I think your depth more than anything is going to be tested, too, as well. Uh, you talk about the, the COVID situation, and, you know, you're going to go through times where, you don't necessarily know um, how many play, how many much, how many of your players are going to be available. So you may have to go with um, some guys, and we end up talking to Mike Martin Jr. about this. You know, you had to go with 
you know, uh, reliever as a start in the game, um, starting the game as the pitcher at times, just simply because of, you know, what may happen um, COVID wise or, you know, what happens, you know, if, you know, it's Sunday at the end of, you know, the three game series and, you know, you need a pitcher. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, baseball is already about strategies anyway. But, you know, I think now you're adding COVID on top of it, then it's really going to be strategic. You're going to see a lot of unconventional, unconventional things that a lot of managers and coaches end up doing, too, as well. It's, gonna, it's definitely going to um, be interesting, too, as well, um, to see how it translates for all the teams there. No doubt. I mean, we talked to Meet, like you said, and I know Meet told us, and he kind of is is weighing the, the possibility of the viability of using those midweek games, because there's not a ton of midweek games, obviously. I mean, they're playing two weekend series against non-conference. So I think they're only playing eight midweek games, which is down from what they normally are. I mean, obviously, they normally play only 30 ACC games and 56 games total. So they're playing more ACC games this year and less overall games. So there's really not a lot of non-conference. But those midweekers, probably not against Florida, but against those other teams, he talked about using them as games where you're going to have nine different relievers or nine different pitchers throw an inning each. I mean, versatility is going to be key to this team this year. I mean, they're bringing back a couple now guys who are, what, fifth-year relievers in Chase Haney and Clayton Kwiatkowski. I guess Chase Haney is even a sixth-year, sorry, because he has dealt with a Tommy John. But they're, I mean, they're guys who have been career relievers. They're great in that role. It's possible they have to kind of be used as that opener, the Tampa Bay Rays strategy, if you will, this year. I mean, just they, they, everybody's just going to have to be so versatile on the staff and on the in the field too. I mean, I know Meat talked about, hey, have you ever played outfield? Okay, we'll go shag some balls. You don't know if we'll need you out there this year. Uh, I know you normally play second base, but we might need you to move to third base. Things like that. I mean, it's all going to be tough to manage I mean it's really like you talked about how how strategical I mean it's always strategical but you're right this year is going to be so much more strategical not just about maximizing your players but about finding the right situations for the right contingency plans for if any number of these things happen yeah and um just you know like you say, he calls he players going to have to cross train. <laughs> that's kind of what he talked about too, as well. Do you have any? Yeah, he has, he asked this player, "Do you have any experience doing this or playing the outfield, playing this position?" And yeah, it's going to be they're going to have to do it at times, especially um, you know, considering if it's going to be players out. And then we had to factor in possible injuries too, as well. You factor that in as well, um, along with possible COVID and contract tracing too as well. It's, it's definitely going to make it very, very interesting for a lot of different coaches around the ACC too as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely um, looking forward to a, definitely a fun season too as well. Definitely a different type of season due too as well, but nevertheless, uh, hopefully uh, knock on wood that uh, baseball will be able to get through it this year unlike last year. Yeah, they're going to get, I mean, it's going to be different there too. I mean, you talked about even being outside. I think they're going to start the year with only about a little over a thousand fans, like in the neighborhood of I think twelve hundred fans for uh, home games, just because of ongoing protocols. And obviously, that's tough because I know Florida State baseball is something that I mean, the animals are the 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 animals of Section B, and just like it is a thing that a lot of fans like to come watch, especially what should be some really good weekend series. Is but it's this nature of things. But I mean, it escalates quickly. You talked about it, and they open the season against UNF. They have, I think, a midweeker, and then they, they host Pitt. 
the very next, the second weekend of the year. I mean, they they're diving headfirst almost into ACC play. I mean, they're playing twelve ACC series when they normally only play ten. And I think they might end up even playing more ACC games because I know Meet talked about that the ACC is I think going to allow them as the season goes on if both teams lose a game, a midweek game or an ACC game or games because of COVID stuff that they'll be able to add extra games against ACC opponents as non-conference games. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, might, we might end up seeing even more than 36 ACC games, even if they don't count as ACC games. And, I mean, it, that would be uh, interesting to say the least. I mean, you throw in a doubleheader on a Saturday and you're playing Miami or Louisville four times instead of three. I mean, it'd be, a, it'd be fascinating to see, to uh, say the least. I mean, you hope it goes off without a hitch. The, uh, the teams could have lose catchers or pitchers due to injury, due to COVID stuff, obviously. And those are the ones that could cancel games. I think they're kind of not putting a minimum on the number of position players you have outside a catcher. So it'll be worth keeping an eye on. It'll be quite interesting to, uh, to say the least. And we'll have plenty of coverage in the lead up to the season as the season gets underway and plenty of other stuff as well on, uh, on Tallahassee.com covering and sports.com covering all things Florida state sports. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, we've talked about obviously all that's going on and there's, there's plenty. And so plenty of good coverage on there by me, by Antoine, by our editor, Jim Henry, by our fam, uh, and preps writer, Rory as well. If those are things that kind of interest you as well, uh, you can follow me. I'm on Twitter at uh, Kurt C U R T M Weiler W E I L E R uh, Antoine. You're at, Antoine Staley, A-N-T-W-A-N-S-T-A-L-E-Y on Twitter. We appreciate you listening, obviously. Thank you for uh, hopefully like, subscribe, follow the podcast. You can get it wherever kind of you get your podcast. We're going to keep these rolling as as more sports get rolling. I mean, there'll be a lot of interest about spring football as that gets going in March and kind of whatever, whatever we're able to see of that would be. Uh, so, yeah, please keep tuned to it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.